Welcome to the Catch 22 Minutes podcast, where we discuss some of the UK's major social challenges. We speak to frontline experts, industry leaders, and people with lived experience, all in pursuit of ideas for reforming public services. My name is Josie Cochran, Comms Manager at Catch 22, and in this season, alongside our guests, we'll be focused on solutions. Solutions which could impact every aspect of the justice sector, from how we support victims to the way individuals are supported in our prisons and in the community. Gang-related harm is a serious public health issue, and while it's a proportionately small number of young people involved in such behaviour, they have a disproportionately large impact on the communities around them in parts of the UK. There is a strong relationship between socio-economic factors and gang involvement too, particularly in deprived communities. Exclusion from school, ethnicity, lack of employment prospects, lack of positive role models and homelessness or poor housing have all been cited as important associated factors for joining gangs. Gangs also prey on young and vulnerable people, coercing them to become involved with crime, which too often leads to a lifetime of criminal activity. To discuss, today we've got Assistant Police and Crime Commissioner for West Midlands, Tom McNeil, alongside Daniel Cunningham from the Straight Up Service. Commissioned by the Department for Work and Pensions, this holistic one-to-one service is designed to upskill those either at risk of or associated with gangs. But first, let's hear from one of Catch-22's young service users. I was in secondary school when I first started Skyvin School and hanging about with local boys who were involved with gangs and selling drugs. I would hold their drugs for them and then began supplying. I fell pregnant with the child of a well-known gang member He was really controlling and abusive. My child was placed in full-time care of my parents. This placed more strain on my relationship with my mum and dad. I was so scared and young. Things just continued to spiral and I ended up in prison for supplying drugs. And it was there where I met workers who could support me since coming out of prison isn't easy. People recognised me and I've been in car chases and had a boiling water thrown at me. I know I've got a lot of work to do myself, but with the support of my workers, I hope to change for my son. Tom, could you tell us briefly about the work of PCC to start with and what you think we mean by gang-related harm? Yeah, of course. It's difficult to summarise briefly, but I'll do my very best. Obviously, we've got some very targeted work designed to kind of tackle youth violence and some of that involves kind of gang related violence but actually a lot of the work that really excites me is the long-term preventative stuff and I think talking about gang related harm I think a lot of it is about the stuff you just summarized already in the introduction I kind of see it as being characterized by desperation and exploitation a lot of the time but also gangs potentially being characterized as kind of dysfunctional families where people can find a sense of belonging and purpose because of some of the other social problems, again, that you've already outlined, ranging from you know profound poverty and challenges at home. Thanks, Tom. And Daniel, can you just tell us a bit about Straight Up and what you think is meant by gang-related harm, if you see any differences there? So Straight Up um, is a project in Birmingham and Solihull, and we're supporting 16 to 30-year-olds that are in gangs, affiliated with gangs, or being exploited. And we're basically offering them support, holistic support. So just looking at their whole lives and that could be health, uh, 
physical health, mental health, accommodation, family relationships, as I said, just looking at their life as a whole and seeing what support we can provide them with this cohort. A lot of them, they do, they do want to change their lives around, but they don't know how our role in the Straight Up programme is to show them the options and do a bit of hand-holding. So they feel like their goals are achievable because they are achievable. And then gang-related harm to me is like manipulation. That's probably the biggest thing that comes to mind when I think of gang-related harm, manipulation of people. The biggest harm that they're doing to communities and to our communities is their exploitation of people. And I think it's twisted to a point where people don't even realise they're being exploited. Do you think the issues are worsening? Yeah, I do. I do think it's worsening. A lot of cuts that have happened with different governments over the years, and I, I do think that's had an impact not only on what funding is available. I think even what's going on in the news today, the people that we work with, we see everything. We see the war that's going on. We see the hypocrisy of the government, even like in relation to the COVID thing, things like that. They do play on people's minds, and it's almost like, well, if these are the people that are governing, and that's how they feel about things and how they break the law. Why should I try to be any better? Tom, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've got lots of thoughts on that. <laughs> I mean, I think unequivocally over the last 10 years, as a result of you know a significant range of government cuts and austerity, we have seen factually youth violence right. And that's as a result of cuts to children's services, schools, youth services, drug treatment services, a whole range of things, increasing homelessness and kind of deep poverty. I think it is getting worse at the moment. But what I've also become aware of is that there's all sorts of other forms of gangs and exploitation which don't always get visibility for whatever reason. And some of that looks like modern slavery, um, exploitation of different kinds of immigrant communities, often which goes hidden. But kind of a broader point is that I think so many of the causes of crime, including for young people who get caught up in this, have been around for a very, very long time and often didn't get the attention they deserved. And therefore, there's been a big problem for a long time. And I'm particularly talking about domestic abuse in the home because I know the causes of what leads people into gang crime are, are much broader than just that. But having suffered it or witnessed violence or manipulation or abuse in the home is such a profound learning point that leads to negative behaviours later on. And a lot of that is avoidable and I don't think it's been given enough attention. And I think just to kind of pick up on one of Daniel's points there, because I think it's really important. I think we could be about to see things get a lot worse because of the cost of living and because of poverty and desperation. And I think Daniel's got a really strong point as well about the, the certainly the perception of moral decline and the sense that if the government isn't going to abide by its own rules and things have got even tougher for us, people are saying, please help us more, and the government doesn't, I think we could risk seeing an increase in crime potentially civil unrest as well, which is something we've seen in the past. Going on that domestic violence issue, that indicates that things are not well at home. Do you think that young people's attraction to gangs is always a negative thing? Do you think there's other motivators that maybe aren't so blatantly they, they want to get involved in crime? Well, I think there may be other motivators, but I ultimately don't think anyone wants to get involved in serious criminality unless there's kind of a cocktail of problems and issues. If people really have proper life opportunities and are genuinely included in what society can offer, I don't think people get involved in serious crime. Do I think group identity is always a bad thing? Absolutely not. 
I mean, I think actually group identity can be one of the things that gives people true meaning in life anyway. And that can involve sports and arts and that can involve, you know, all sorts of, you know, with urban culture of a variety of kind can be incredibly positive. So group identity, yes, but I don't think gangs is ever a good thing and I don't think it's inevitable. Definitely agree that it's about opportunities and that if young people see opportunities and have opportunities, then they won't tend to go down this path. But I feel like in a lot of the communities that we work in, they're still um, not seeing these opportunities. Like I said, I still live in an area that's got high gang crime. So there's people that live within this area that are, that are locked up now for shooting people. And at the time, they were proud of it. They boasted about it. But then when they go to prison and they sit down and actually realise that they've been manipulated from a child to do this, because that's the only information that's been given to them. All the people have drummed that into them. Like I keep going back to it, but the older people that are in these gangs that they're really just twisting these young people's heads. So they, they do see it as a positive in terms of the family, in terms of ways they can make money, in terms of these are the only opportunities that they're seeing. And these older people are showing them the ways to make the most out of these opportunities. What do you think needs to be the priority approach with these young people? I think opportunities, them seeing viable opportunities and feeling valued and like that they've got a part to play in society. I feel like that's the biggest thing when I was younger. Like I never thought I'd be in the position that I'm in now. I never thought that I'd be a valued member of society. And I feel like them realising that they can be is massive. There was a young person um, that I brought to a Commonwealth Jobs Fair a couple of weeks ago, and he's now got um, a job working in the Commonwealth Games. But him, he's, he's going to go to prison basically because of the crimes that he's committed. So he's basically will be going to prison at some point. But him, he didn't see no value in himself. And when we sat down and did a CV and we spoke about, because he's so entrepreneurial, like during lockdown, he bought this, sold this. And so I was like, just when I sat down with him and said, you've done this, you've done that. Like you don't realise how valuable the skills you've got will be to a company. So once we sat down and he realised that, the confidence that he had to go into that interview with was, was crazy. A couple of weeks ago when I met him, it was head down. Once he seen the opportunity and felt like he was valued, he had the confidence to go in there and be like, this is what I've been doing and this is what I've got to offer, regardless of the conviction that was standing over his head. It gives him something to work on in prison, knowing that there's, there is ambition to be had um, yeah. once he gets out. And Tom, you work across the West Midlands. Any thoughts on that? I mean, my personal passion is really, really early help. And helping families who, you know, are in crisis, whether it's through poverty and whether it's through some of the issues we've talked about before, like domestic abuse or sentence misuse. And actually, families can successfully be helped through that. And if you do, then life can just be so much better for everybody, for parents, for children. And you can have the opportunity to really instill sense of self-belief, increase self-esteem and ambition for kind of all involved. And obviously, there's ways of doing that that are particularly effective, ways that aren't stigmatising and patronising and ways that are done together and empowering. And there's lots of models I've seen in the West Midlands which are doing that. But I did just want to pick on, up on a point Daniel said, which I just agree with so strongly. When people grow up in a kind of a privileged background or environment or home, in the vast majority of cases, that self-belief and self-confidence manifests in ambition and an awareness of opportunities. And those two things combined normally result in a pretty successful life one way or the other. Success defined broadly, not just kind of blunt academia or anything like that. And you've got 
you know, lots of these young people who don't come from those circumstances, and you've got this blend of people where there either isn't self-esteem or you get some young people who really are ambitious and they want to be somebody. And that's when there's that risk of being exploited into, you know, a gang culture where there is kind of this narrative that you can succeed within this this model. And there's something exciting about knowing that because that ambition can be really harnessed and turned into something brilliant. And so when we do try and find all sorts of different ways of helping people at different points, it's about making sure that those who want to help also believe in them, like it's clear Daniel does. Because if you don't and you're kind of stigmatizing them or just imagining they never amount to much, they'll detect that in you and they won't want your help. They'll feel patronized and disrespected. Is there any way of kind of measuring these uh, services that you think works particularly well? Because obviously, you'll know from most commissioning models, kind of proving the impact of much of these diversionary activities is really important to ensure they get longevity in terms of commissioning. Is there, is there any measurements that you think work particularly well? I know at Catch-22, we tend to do a lot of distance-travelled evidence, which is looking at, say, in our schools, for example, if attendance was zero when they arrived, if that attendance goes up to 90 100%, then you know that's a huge measure of success. But I just wondered if, particularly in terms of gang-related harms, whether there's any uh, measures that you've seen that really work. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. And it's difficult to answer because I think actually I feel quite a lot of frustration and scepticism about some people's call for evaluations and evidence, because I think sometimes they're stuck with quite old fashioned ideas. For example, some of the most exciting stuff I've seen has been around um, working with families to empower them and helping them through some really difficult times at first, but then leading them towards kind of paid employment as peer workers and things like that. But some of this stuff takes a really long time and there isn't going to be this quick, easy evaluation that, for example, some big national funders are looking for. And then there's the fact that I think, you know, one of the best ways to prevent youth violence in the really long term is going to require a really, really long term perspective. And so if we really want to know whether something works, first, we need to take a long term approach. But we also really need to look at qualitative evidence more. So this, for me, throws up a lot of complicated problems. and. If we're not careful, the the evidence base and the evaluation movement can actually be the thing that ruins some really good work. Daniel, what do you think of diversionary activities utilising both pro-social activities, so things like sports, things like other hobbies um, or employment to disrupt youth violence? Why is one maybe more effective than the other? They kind of play different roles because say like um, a good activity that I've been doing with some of the young people is music. And I feel like um, I've been surprised at how expressionate they've been. And I feel like for some of them, they wouldn't like they wouldn't have those conversations. Like they're speaking about some very personal things that had had I not heard those songs or went to the studio to make those songs of them, I wouldn't know about those things. So I feel like music's music's been quite a good one as far as allowing people to express their emotions. And I feel like that's important, especially with young men. You you gotta have an outlet. So I feel like music's been good for that. Um same sport as well. We've uh, done uh, boxing, we've done football. And for the same reasons, like, I mean, I go football twice a week and I always say that's what keeps me sane. Like, it's, it's a release, it's, it's an outlet, it's something to do, um, something to use your energy up as well. Like, some of these young people that we're working with, they're not doing much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I might, if I don't put them on a course, like, there's nothing that they're doing. That might be a month before they, in that month, 
they might not be doing nothing at all. So them having sport and something to do, it's an opportunity to meet new people, socialise as well. And I think that's a big thing as well, socialising with different people. Quite often, they may have only socialised with a certain set of people or only spoken a certain way. So I feel like getting them out, meeting new, different kind of people is going to be beneficial for them growing as a person. And I feel like as well, when we was younger, this is another thing, when we was younger, youth clubs, there was loads of youth clubs. And obviously, as I said, I grew up in a high gang area. Before I was born, there's been issues. But when we was younger, there was youth clubs. Do you know what I mean? So there's people that I know from the opposing area that will come to youth clubs around here or we'd go to different things in their area. So there might be times where things were going to happen or it'd be like, oh, I know that person. Like, just leave it. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like these diversion activities give young people the opportunity to meet other young people and, and network. Tom, any thoughts on that? I just think what Daniel said is just completely spot on. I think sports and arts can just be transformative for confidence, self-belief, for discovering a talent, teamwork, ambition, discipline, the full lot. I, think, I just think he's spot on. Like some of the young people that we work with, I think sometimes through the music, through the glamour of things, they think that it's an easy life, like drug dealing. But when we do speak to quite a lot of the young people, they're like that's not what they're saying, how difficult it is, the times that they have to get up, the hours that they have to work always looking over their shoulder. So I think the young people that have had those experiences want to see, do you know what I mean? Like this um, this same person, like the crimes that he was doing before. When we went to the jobs fair and he's seen 9.50 per hour, you should have seen his face. <laughs> like he was like 9.50 an hour. Like I said, they've been sold a lie. Do you know what I mean? They've been sold a lie about all this drug dealing and how glamorous it is. So once they've had that experience, for him to even come and see, you know, I can get paid nine fifty an hour. That's like, I'd much rather take that. Someone else that we're working with that uh, spent time in prison. He's been doing a construction for about two months. And literally his face when he got his first paycheck. They don't, there's almost not an understanding of society and how it works. Because when, he, when he, he, he was like, there's this much money in the world. Like I've got paid for doing this for a week. Like I said, they've had certain experiences and they see another side and like you can go to work and finish work and not have any stresses like I'm going back to employment once they see something that's going to pay them and they're going to get, they can build a life out of it. It's very rare that they're going to be like, no, I'd rather, I'd rather deal drugs. Very rare. As well as doing work to kind of inspire young people and to, to just show them what society can look like. How do you think schools, families, communities, the health system, how do you think they can all play a part? Tom, can I start with you for this one? Yeah, it goes back to the stuff I said earlier on. It's not just something we need to consider. It's fundamental. There is some old fashioned thinking sometimes that if you just give a young person a job, everything will be fine. But what Daniel has said clearly shows there's a whole range of things that people need help with. And it's actually very well documented now. I don't think anyone can argue with it. There is a mental health crisis in young people, not just for young people caught in gang crime across, across the country. What we know about some of the backgrounds of most people who get caught up in gang crime and other forms of youth crime um, around challenges in the home, it's really, really well substantiated. So you've absolutely got to be looking at how we create really supportive environments in schools it comes to more investment in pastoral support, in mental health support, in sports and arts, because they're more than just the activity themselves. They're these big, wonderful things that can transform lives. And if you 
we don't have that kind of multidisciplinary approach. And it doesn't mean just core formal statutory services. It means grassroots groups, a lot of which of their work is actually going towards mental health support, even if it's not labelled that, is fundamental. And Daniel? There needs to be more awareness. And I think that's probably been one of the things that has disappointed me because I mean, there's not a day where you can go on the Birmingham Mail website where there isn't some kind of youth violence going on. And even with that climate, it's still quite difficult when I'm advocating on behalf of these young people to get the support that we need, like housing, mental health. And sometimes I'm finding, like, does this young person have to get stabbed before, we, before we're at the threshold to get the help that we need? Then it needs to be more enjoyed. Daniel, where yeah. do you think the best opportunity is for that joining up to happen one of the major things is housing speaking of like families in Birmingham where we know someone's been murdered their family's been left there 10-15 years later how can we leave that to happen and then be surprised that the same things are going on when we've left that person's family there to deal with that trauma for forever do you know what I mean there's not been any support to help them there that's one of the fundamental things as well, getting people moved because you, you live somewhere different. You see different opportunities. I'm, I'm not saying everyone should just be moved for the sake of it, but I'm saying the people that are in danger, that, that are saying that, that, that they are in danger, I don't feel like the threshold should be so high to get them moved because I've seen that getting someone moved out of the area, that can be the beginning of the, of the change. Do you know what I mean? Them seeing new opportunities, them starting a new life. Um, just to finish off, any any points on that? I think there's lots of different places where you do need different support to be brought together more. Um, but if I could summarise briefly, early years in children's centres, they've been shown that they were very effective, but you know, new ways of doing it are just as welcome in my view. Children's centres where you bring health together and housing and other kinds of support and help for parents and with you know, universal credit and finding work and all that stuff. The school environment, incredibly important because it's universal. It should be a welcoming environment, really positive culture. And there's lots of opportunities to do good multidisciplinary work there with the right level of resource. But also other places are in the criminal justice system as well. We really want to avoid people getting that far. But we're looking at things like problem solving courts where you do bring all those agencies together so that the process isn't just about what punishment somebody's going to get. It's about how do we make sure we have a proper, well thought through rehabilitation package for these individuals and how do we make sure that the agencies have take the responsibility to work together to make sure that that person gets that the support that they need so there's lots of different locations where this kind of joined up working needs to take place 